0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. With all that we've witnessed in the last two months, we, uh, we need a reminder of what the key ingredients are that has made America an exceptional nation. You know, one can argue that whatever those ingredients are, they need to be revisited because we're at risk of losing are standing as exceptional well, a new survey this week by Axios reveals that eighty percent of Americans believe our country, America, is falling apart. Uh, the survey results frankly don 't surprise me; they do deeply disturb me, but they don 't surprise me Well, this weekend, I believe is an opportunity to step back from the surreal happenings of the last few weeks in Revisit what I believe is at the heart of America's historical exceptionalism as we celebrate Religious Freedom Day. On January 16th, 1786, the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, written by Thomas Jefferson, was passed by the Virginia General Assembly. This historic document codified into law an understanding that went all the way back to the Pilgrims, which we celebrate their arrival 400 years ago this year, this past uh, year. That religious liberty is an inherent right granted by God not gifted by government was what they believed specifically the statute made it clear that no one could be compelled to attend or support any religious worship nor could they be hindered or harmed from their own religious beliefs or exercise Jefferson's Virginia statute for religious freedom provided the model for the first amendment drafted by James Madison just a few years later The law also anticipated Article 6 of the Constitution, which states that there shall be no religious test for anyone seeking to serve in public office. When Jefferson drafted the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, his proposal was radical. In an era when the government regulated and monitored the church's liturgy and doctrine, it was bold to assert that religion was was inherently a matter between an individual and God. But Jefferson's bold assertion was the correct one. Thomas Jefferson noted that the people could change the law, but warned against it because these are natural rights. Natural rights can be repressed, but they cannot be erased. They will find a way of expression. Therefore, great attention should be given to the recognition and preservation of these God-given rights, for they are vital to the safety and stability of a people. Now, after drafting the Declaration of Independence in 1776, Jefferson returned to Virginia, where three years later in the House of Delegates, he proposed Bill No. 82, containing the ideas set forth in the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. It wasn't until seven years later that the bill was passed. Three years after that, in 1789, the First Amendment, containing the ideas in the Virginia Statute, was proposed. Now, Jefferson's Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom was the thread linking religious freedom ideas, which were quite novel, as I said at the time, between the key stages of our nation's founding. This founding American principle has long enjoyed bipartisan support. In fact, in 1993, Congress overwhelmingly passed the Religious Freedom and Restoration Act. The law passed unanimously in the House of Representatives and 97 to 3 in the U.S. Senate and was assigned into law by President Bill Clinton. Rifra promotes or prohibits the government, rather, from substantively uh, burdening the exercise of religion, ensuring that people of faith can live out their beliefs in peace. Only a compelling government interest, furthered in the least restrictive way, can supersede a person's religious claim. The law has protected members of minority religions as well as Christians. It's been an issue of big debate in the last few years. These two documents, along with our Constitution, uphold the right to religious liberty in our nation today. There's been a number of presidential proclamations underscoring this issue of religious freedom. Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and uh, President Clinton, I mean President Trump. In fact, uh, last year in the official proclamation in 2020, President Trump stated his administration's commitment to our first freedom by saying this. He said, quote, Our nation was founded on the premise that a just government abides by the laws of nature and of nature's God. As the founders recognized the Constitution protects religious freedom to secure the rights endowed to man by his very nature. On this day, we recognize this history and affirm our commitment to the preservation of religious freedom. And finally, we must recognize that... There is a a link between domestic and international religious freedom, one we talk about often on this program, because if we fail to protect religious freedom here at home, we'll be unable to protect and promote it abroad. So today we honor this first freedom on Washington Watch. I'm going to be joined by notable experts that can speak to how religious freedom is an essential agreed ingredient to both America's past success and success in the future. Professor Daniel Dreisbach from American University will delve deeper into the history of religious freedom in America. Then Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska will explain why government should support a vibrant right of religious freedom. Dr. Bob Fu, Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom here at the Family Research Council, looks at why religious freedom is critical to America's foreign policy. And then my good friend, Dr. Andrew Brunson, is here on how his time in a Turkish prison for preaching the gospel prepared him for a message for the church here in America. He shares that message with us today here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And, uh, by the way, with the uncertainty of uh, who Big Tech will cut off next, I encourage you to to text the word STAND, that's S-T-A-N-D, STAND, to 67742. Text the word STAND to 67742. 742 so that you can stay connected if we're cut off we'll alert you as to the other means to connect with us again that is uh, 67742 the word stand All right, in last year's national assessment of educational progress one of the troubling trends was a decline in test scores in history. Students are moving backwards in their understanding and proficiency of history. In fact, outgoing Secretary of Education Betsy Duvall said the results were stark and inexcusable. Not knowing your past as a nation can create a crisis of identity, which may be part of what America is witnessing at present. Well, joining me now to help us brush up on the history of at least religious freedom in America as we celebrate Religious Freedom Day is uh, Dr. Daniel Dreisbach. He is a professor of legal studies at American University in Washington, D.C. Professor, welcome back to Washington Watch.
0: Thanks very much for having me. It's a joy to be here. Uh, Just,
1: you know, religious freedom. How essential is that to America's past success? And how important is it if we hope to be successful in the future?
0: Well, it's a it's a concept and an idea that is deeply uh, woven into the fabric of our history. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the 400th anniversary of the arrival of pilgrims at, at at Plymouth, and and of course we know that familiar story that the pursuit of religious liberty was one of those things that that drew them to the New World, uh, and and it continues to draw people to our shores in the 21st century. This pursuit of religious liberty has been absolutely essential to our identity as a people and an, as a, as a nation for now over four hundred years.
1: Are we losing the understanding of the essential nature of that freedom?
0: I, I think we are in real danger, uh, as you say. And, and 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 let me get to what I think is at the very heart of of the American uh, contribution to uh, a global understanding of religious liberty. And and it's something that that finds expression in that famous Virginia statute for establishing religious freedom adopted on January 16, 1786, that you spoke of uh, just a minute ago. I, I think the great innovation of American thought on religious liberty is that Americans abandon a government policy of religious toleration. The best that the old world had to offer was a regime of toleration where the government in its benevolence would say to its people, we will allow you to practice your religion so long as we allow you to, right? And if if the government can grant you a privilege of practicing your religion, it can take it away. And, and Americans in, in the founding era rejected that idea. They said, no, religious liberty is not about mere toleration. It's about liberty. It's a natural, inalienable, fundamental right that's placed beyond the reach of of government officials. Government can't take it away from you. And, and sadly, I think we're losing this distinction in our society today between toleration government and its benevolence allowing you to practice your religion and this idea of the founding, which is that religious liberty is a natural, inalienable right that can't be taken away. And and I think it plays out in 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 very alarming ways. Today, we see the government telling uh, people of faith and faith-based organization, oh, you can do this or that so long as you as your religion is in alignment with government policy. But if you step out of government policy on a whole range of issues, whether it's marriage or human sexuality or sanctity of life, the government is threatening and, in some instances, taking away the right of faith based organizations to practice their religion as it was protected in the Virginia statute and the First Amendment.
1: Uh, words matter and we hear about well you know we have the freedom of worship freedom of religion is much broader than worship explain what the the, what was really at the core at the heart of when we go back to the say the Puritan work ethic Uh, it incorporated work as a part of one's worship because it was service to God therefore pretty much everything that man does was considered an expression of his relationship with god
0: yes i think that's right let me throw in another term that i think is a very important part of this conversation and that's free exercise that suggests that what's being protected in our first amendment is not simply thoughts that you have in your head rather it's the ability to act on your beliefs to act on the dictates of your conscience um and, and, and 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 I think what we find when we hear people to say today saying, well, you can worship, but you may not be able to act on your belief, that is a fundamental departure from the, the literal language of our Constitution and this most important of rights.
1: So as a... As a country, when we look back on our our history and we look at the how vibrant of a understanding we had of religious freedom and that that's it's 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 slipping, it's slipping our understanding of that freedom and all of history, quite frankly. But let's talk about religious freedom here in our our few uh, couple minutes just left here. How do we how do we reinvigorate that freedom?
0: well you know the founders often said that uh, our 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 survival as a republic our survival as a free people is dependent on frequent recurrence of fundamental principles and so i think that uh, on on this religious freedom day on january 16th this this year we need to commit ourselves to recurring to first principles go back and study the bill for establishing religious freedom of 1786. Go back and study what the First Amendment has to say. And so I think our survival uh, uh, as a people and as a people who enjoy the liberty of free exercise of religion is in large part uh, rests on our willingness to to commit ourselves to a study and an understanding and application of professor drybach we're
1: gonna have to we're gonna have to leave it there i want to thank you for joining us and uh, folks don't go away we're coming back with more hey matt hey hannah
2: what's going on why so gloomy
1: well i'm a little
3: disappointed i had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time and i just didn't do it
2: oh yeah what did you have planned that you didn't get to do
3: Well, I was actually hoping I'd finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it.
2: Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out.
3: When did they start? I I would be so far behind.
2: Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading, just a couple of chapters a day, with questions to help you think about what you're reading.
3: Nice. Where can I find this?
2: Go to frc.org Bible, and you can get started.
3: Where's that again?
2: frc.org Bible.
3: Got it. Checking it out now.
2: In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular Biblical Principles for Political Engagement is now available in Spanish. All of these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview.
1: Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to uh, have you with us as we mark this special day coming up this weekend, the 16th Religious Freedom Day. As uh, Dr. Dreisbach was just talking about, the best way to preserve and keep this freedom is to use this freedom. And the governor of Nebraska is encouraging that and applauding that. In fact, he has released his own declaration for Religious Freedom Day, and in that he said the founders of the U.S. recognized the importance of religion to the health of our republic. They also knew that religion flourishes best when practiced without coercion. Throughout the pandemic, we've worked to protect religious freedom. We've seen other states that have treated houses of worship unfairly, keeping them shut. While many communities took extra precautions, the state never forced houses of worship to close in Nebraska. Listen to this. Churches and faith communities across the state are vital to keep helping keep people connected. I want to thank people of every faith who have been working to creatively keep their community connected during this difficult time. And joining us now to talk more about why. He is promoting and protecting religious freedom in Nebraska. Is Governor Pete Ricketts? Governor, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate having you on. Happy New Year.
1: Thank you, sir. Happy New Year to you as well. And uh, once again, you have been out with this proclamation. You did this again? You did this last year. Why is religious freedom, as a public official, um, why is it important to have a vibrant faith community?
4: Well, certainly, and as you mentioned already, you know, our founders understood that it was important to have that moral foundation for us to be able to run our republic. And they established the freedom of religion, the First Amendment, for a reason. Of course, many of the folks who came here to this country came to escape religious persecution in other places. And so we want to cherish that. We want to make sure that people are not taking that for granted. We can see in other countries, You can see the Chinese Communist Party, for example, uh, putting Uyghurs in concentration camps, North Korean government putting Christians in labor camps, camps and torturing them. You see, you know, in Pakistan, forced conversion of religious minorities, with the government really not stepping in. And so we've got something that's special here in this country we have to protect it. And we've seen through this pandemic that we really can't take it for granted. As you mentioned, other states have taken steps to treat a house of worship unfairly, really not recognizing the importance of the republic, in general, that religion plays, in addition to just, of course, our own spiritual development, but also the good work that religious organizations do. Uh, you know, here in Nebraska, for example, uh, in our capital city of Lincoln, uh, the People City Mission was founded by a group of churches and still the leading homeless shelter in the state. You've got, of course, the very famous Boys Town, founded by uh, Catholic priest Father Flanagan. You've got Benet Griffith, the Omaha Jewish Foundation. All these groups doing really good public works then, of course, finally, just through this pandemic, the connectivity that religious organizations have provided at a time when it's very difficult for us to stay connected. And that just helps out our overall mental well-being in the state. So with all these important reasons that the freedom of religion is just vital to our republic, we felt it was important to continue to recognize that and really remind people that we cannot take it for granted.
1: Well, Governor Rickers, I think you've laid out two really broad categories. One is a principled approach, which is foundational to our, our, our country, as you said, to the republic of the rights of religious freedom, but a practical approach. And I think governors like yourself who have seen the faith community as a partner as opposed to... Uh, you know, s- s- someone who gets in your way, there's a very practical element here where you can work alongside the faith community. It can actually make government work more efficiently.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, really, again, the principle part is important, but it also leads to a very pragmatic outcome with the general well-being of civil society. And that's one of the reasons, for example, when we received the CARES Act money that we received from the federal government as part of the whole program, we established about $80 million in aid to non-profit and community organizations uh, from you know, food banks, child care providers, but also including houses of worship to be able to help offset some of the costs and make sure that, you know, really think about trying to stabilize them through this pandemic. I mean, a lot of people may not think about it, but just as small businesses were struggling because of the restrictions that were put in place because of the pandemic, so were religious organizations, you know, many unable to, take that weekly collection plate or do fundraising. And so we wanted to make sure that we were doing our part to state to help them survive this pandemic because we really recognize the important role they play in our society.
1: Governor Ricketts, are, are you are you troubled by some of the trends we see in our country, this growing hostility to the exercise of religious freedom? Yeah,
4: absolutely. I think it's a very dangerous trend that's been going on for some time in our country. You know, there's this phrase out there, separation of church and state, which is completely not the meaning that our founders envisioned when they wrote the First Amendment of our Constitution. Freedom of religion doesn't mean freedom from religion. Uh, they absolutely believe that our religious foundation, our morals, our beliefs, had a place in the public square. In fact, were supposed to be expressed in the public square. But we weren't supposed to exclude our religious beliefs. We, the First Amendment was really about making sure that the state didn't promote one particular religion or establish a state religion, but not to exempt all religions from participating. And I think that some have taken this to believe that we should, you know, eliminate religion entirely from our public discourse, and it's absolutely not the case. In fact, uh, again, our founders absolutely it was fundamental that we continue to talk about our religious principles and that we have them to be able to keep our republic. And that's why, you yeah, know, we, we felt it's so important for us to— uh, Recognize religious freedom, remind people not to take it for granted, and certainly again through this pandemic, we've seen some very dangerous attitudes in some of the states toward religion, where you know, liquor stores, for example, were allowed to stay open when religious organizations were not. It just right. seems crazy.
1: Uh, it, it, it certainly does. But I and many many others are grateful for your leadership, Governor Ricketts, in uh, in providing an example to uh, to other governors and other leaders that, look, the faith community can be a great partner. You just need to protect their rights as you do everyone else's. Governor, thanks so much for joining us today.
4: Hey, hey, thank you very much. I appreciate having me on.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Governor Pete Ricketts of uh, Nebraska. You know, I I just think that if more elected officials would realize like this can actually make my job easier by working with a community of people who part of their, their whole DNA is to serve and to help. I mean, that's It's a big part of what the church wants to do. I've seen it over and over. Believe me, in Louisiana, where we've had many, many storms, the governors that have worked with the church have uh, produced a lot better results. All right, when we come back, Dr. Bob Fu, senior fellow here for International Religious Freedom at FRC, joins us to talk about religious freedom internationally, why it's important, why it needs to be a priority. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
5: The history of religious persecution in China is extensive and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting FRC.org/China.
0: Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today.
2: Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep. You can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow. I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store.
6: Okay, that's Stand Firm.
2: Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh?
1: Welcome back to Washington watch I'm Tony Perkins your host so glad that you are with us on this uh, special edition of Washington watch where we uh, are looking at religious freedom day and of course it's focused on our domestic religious freedom but it's hard to look at religious freedom here and not address it internationally yesterday uh, on the program uh, Dr. David Curry was on we were talking about the state of religious persecution for Christians around the world and of course China Uh, At the top of uh, the list as a place most dangerous for Christians to be. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, China is exporting their intolerance to many other countries. In fact, there's evidence that suggests that uh, uh, there's upwards of 80 countries, uh, different jurisdictions that they are using their influence with to export some of uh, the techniques uh, the technology rather that they're using to monitor religious minorities there in China. Joining me now to uh, to talk more about this is uh, Dr. Bob Fu. He is a senior fellow for International Religious Freedom here at the Family Research Council, and he has a new book out called The Politics of Inclusive Pluralism, a proposed foundation for religious freedom in a post-communist democratic China. Bob, welcome back to Washington Watch.
6: Thank you, Tony, for having me back.
1: I know you've been uh, you've been occupied here. Uh, you've been a target of uh, the Chinese uh, for your outspoken uh, voice on behalf of the persecuted there in China.
6: Yes, I am. I mean, unfortunately, you know, here in West Texas, uh, we had to be exiled from our own house because of these uh, Chinese uh, communists or communist sympathizers gathers in front of a house for over a month, harassing us for our voice for religious freedom in China. Um, So this uh, shows, yeah, the penetration of the Communist Party even deeper in the American society.
1: Yeah, that they would feel free to even move into West Texas, of all places. Why are they so afraid of religious freedom?
6: I think... uh, you know, Tony, religious freedom is uh, the first freedom, and uh, the Communist Party is a party of control and suppression for any of uh, independence, uh, you know, thoughts, association. And when you have uh, religious freedom, they know uh, the freedom of association, freedom of conscience. And uh, freedom of God uh, would uh, come uh, after that, naturally. So that's why the Chinese Communist Party is very scared uh, of uh, citizens' religious freedom. Uh, and Because um, uh, when you have uh, God, uh, you know, as the only head of the church, when you believe and trust that Christ is the only Lord of uh, all your life and uh, not the Chinese Communist Party, not President Xi Jinping, they are very scared. They thought that is uh, the uh, so-called political subversive religion. Uh, so that's why they had been uh, subject to all the uh, Christian churches and uh, uh, Christian leaders and the believers who uh, exercised their religious freedom uh, from the congregation to their household uh, into the confinement into the deep persecution and the control mode.
1: So given that, should the United States continue to put an emphasis on religious freedom and the abuses that China is engaged in as it pertains to their people and their ability to worship God?
6: Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that's why I really applaud for the Trump administration and the USERF, you are the chairman of the USERF, that have put religious freedom as a forefront US foreign policy initiative. And uh, we are really a city on the hill. Hopefully, by Lord's help, we can keep it the Republic. And uh, I'm very uh, now concerned about the trend. But, uh, you know, when Pastor Wang Yi uh, was sentenced to nine years for simply preaching a sermon asking President Xi Jinping to repent for his repressive uh, uh, religious policy. When another pastor, Li, recently sentenced to five and a half years for refusing to install a Communist Party flag in front of the church. I mean, these are the things that struck the core uh, of what we believe in, What America is about and what our founding fathers was building for this country for. So absolutely, we need to continue to be a voice for those voiceless brothers and sisters and other religious minorities in China.
1: Uh, Very quickly, Dr. Fu, the book, The Politics of Inclusive Inclusive Pluralism, a Proposed Foundation for Religious Freedom in a Post-Communist Democratic China. Why did you write the book?
6: I wrote this book uh, primarily I found of course it's not sustainable for the religious policy under the current uh, Chinese communist regime and also I found uh, in the predominantly practiced uh, western uh, so-called political liberalism model is also has the element of containment of uh, uh, the, like, evangelical Christian faith to manifest in our society. Like in France, you know, they uh, put uh, secularism as their, almost the religion of the state. Yeah. So that's why I just uh, uh, adopt the uh, Abraham Kuyper's principle of pluralism, uh, which basically to allow, you know, with the Christian uh, uh, kind of uh, ideal and a foundation, in a theological base, at the same time with the pluralist. Dr. Fu, um, we're we're
1: we're up. At, we're, out we're out of time. We're out of time. We got to leave it there. Thanks for joining us, folks. Stick around. We're coming back after this.
3: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com.
7: Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde.
8: What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So glad that you are with us as we uh, take a look at Religious Freedom, National Religious Freedom Day. Uh, this Saturday, the 16th, commemorates the, uh, this fundamental right. It goes back about 30 years. This has been a uh, been recognized as a, an official date. And we were just talking with uh, Dr. Bob Fu about China. And um, I, I would encourage you if you want to get a copy of his book, The Politics of Inclusive Pluralism, a proposed foundation for religious freedom in a post communist democratic China, buy a few copies and uh, you know send them over to anybody you know in the Communist Party there in China. That'll I really like that. Uh, but Bob's doing a great work. I mean, f- f- fearless, uh, continuing to stand for the persecuted there in China. And as, as he mentioned briefly, you might not know the history of that. He was uh, Chinese. Funded initiative. A funded initiative came, and they brought people to his house in West Texas, and they for for weeks, protesting out in front of his house. Um, but he did not shrink back. He continues to advocate for religious freedom. Speaking of religious freedom, persecution in prison. Uh, our next guest. I first met him uh, in Turkey, Izmir, Turkey, when he was being held by the Turkish government. For preaching the Word of God for for over almost uh two dozen years at a church in Izmir in Turkey, preaching the gospel, small churches ministering to the people, and was imprisoned for over two years and uh through a what I think miraculous events, he was released. I, I was able to accompany him home, but during his time in prison, that experience he said has uh prepared him for a message for the church here in America. Joining me now is uh, Dr. Andrew Brunson. He is the author of God's Hostage. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to the program.
9: Hi, Tony. Good to be with you.
1: Thanks for joining us on this program focused on religious freedom. Um, you never thought, well, right, let me let me po- pose this into, as a question. Did you ever think that you in your ministry to be a missionary to Turkey, would all of a sudden, at some point in your time, be thrust into this role in discussing and advocating for religious freedom?
9: I did not expect it at all. I thought I would be in Turkey for the rest of my life doing church planting. But I think that what happened, one of the purposes God had, He had many purposes in my imprisonment, things He used, but one purpose He had to work in me, uh, was he allowed me to be broken again and again and again, repeatedly. And every time I broke, uh, I had to get up again and learn perseverance at a deeper level. So over time, he built uh, perseverance in me uh, just through having to practice it again and again and flex that muscle. And one of the reasons he allowed me to be broken like that and, and rebuilt, is so that I could be an encouragement to other people who are going to face persecution. Now, obviously that happens in the Muslim world, but since coming back to the States, uh, I've really had something burning on my heart and also heavy on my heart, especially in the last weeks has become heavier, uh, that just the conviction uh, that hostility toward followers of Jesus is going to rise in this country where we really haven't had that much of it in the past and that it is coming quickly, uh, that it will be upon us very soon, and that we need to discern and understand the times that we're living in. So I don't want to underline this uh, on the political side. Government is a, a big issue, obviously, and I think some people can become confused or immediately dismiss what I'm saying if I talk in terms of Republicans and Democrats. So I think there's a more fundamental distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those who are faithful followers of Jesus and those who are hostile to faithful followers of Jesus and what they stand for. The reality is that our society is becoming more and more hostile. Uh, Leadership uh, across many levels, you could say the high points of our society, Uh, many in the corporate world, in arts, entertainment, media, sports, the schools and universities and in government bureaucracy do not honor God. In fact, many openly defy him. There's a real sea change that's taking place in our country in this generation. And the the leaders uh, in many of these areas are increasingly hostile to those who identify clearly with Jesus and with his teaching. And Tony, you and I have talked about this before, uh, about how we think this pressure is coming, but I think it's coming very quickly now. And I look at January 6th as a watershed moment Uh, Some people have called it a Christian insurrection, and I think we may end up hearing the word domestic terrorist thrown around more freely in the future and applied unjustly to followers of Jesus, and there's great potential for this to be weaponized and used as an excuse to put great pressure on followers of Jesus.
1: Well, Andrew, I want to talk about that preparation for persecution, uh, because in some of our previous conversations. In fact, um, I, don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe we, we even talked about this maybe on the plane coming back. I'm, I'm not sure our first time we discussed this, but I remember you distinctly telling me that you were not prepared for persecution. You'd read the books of all of the, the great leaders of the faith, and and but none of them actually went into what they went through in their depths of despair and so that part was left out and and you were without guidance in how to deal with that when you were in that turkey's prison
9: Uh, yes i i had counted the cost for some uh pressure but uh certainly not for prison i was the first person in prison in turkey in recent memory for his faith and uh, i found that it this is what I would say if we're not ready, and this is why this issue is burning in my heart. I just I, I feel a sense of urgency that that pastors especially and and influencers and parents also that we need to prepare because it's very dangerous if we're not ready when that pressure comes. Uh, and Jesus talked about it, and I know it from my own experience that if we if we are not ready when when persecution comes, then it surprises us and. Uh, We can uh, be afraid. It's normal to be afraid. I was very afraid. But the reaction when we're afraid is to run away. Another is that uh, we can become offended at God, at what he allows to happen, at at the difficulties, at the level of evil that is permitted, and and also, frankly, sometimes at not feeling his presence or sensing that he's with us in difficulty, even though he is. We we may lose that sense. And especially, I think there is a temptation – uh, to, uh, to compromise. And this is already happening. I think many leaders in conservative churches and evangelical churches are avoiding teaching some subjects because they don't want to deal with the pressure that will come from outside the church. But also that if they teach these things, it will cause division within the church. And I believe a great sifting, a great sorting is coming to the church and there will be a lot of division. And you know, there are some wedge issues. Uh, the exclusivity of Jesus, that he's the only way to God, the claims that he made and that he has authority. Uh, this, this really bothers people. <laughs> uh, another uh, main wedge issue is the demands that Jesus places on his followers, especially moral demands that require our obedience. So speaking practically, I think the big wedge issue that is going to be used against the church and it will cause a lot of division within the church i don't think it's going to be abortion many people uh say very clearly they're against it in the church i think it's going to be the lgbtq agenda and how we deal with that mm-hmm. and if i can say i think one thing i want to underline from from my experience is that those who persecute uh, they are going to justify this persecution by saying that we are hate groups, that we have a message of hate. And that it is very difficult to be despised and hated. Uh, and I, I looked at Jesus. He was hated even though he is the most loving and kind man that, in history. But people call him evil. And this, this is what will happen in the name of being inclusive and tolerant. People are going to say that the followers of Jesus are a threat to safety. Uh, You can't work here. Your views make people unsafe. You're a threat. Uh, You can't use social media. You can't use our financial products, your bank account, your credit card, things like that. Uh, How about churches? You can't keep your designation as a 501c3, as a tax-exempt nonprofit, because you have a message of hate. Now, obviously, we don't have a message of hate, but I believe this is uh, the way that uh, the excuse that will justify the persecution that that we're going to face and there is a very easy way out of it is to compromise uh, and that's a big problem because it will be a big temptation i was called a spy i was called a terrorist and i can tell you it's not easy to be misunderstood and despised and hated
1: it's not but to your point that the first step in preparation is to understand that it's it's coming. And is that not why Jesus told his followers, as you just made reference to that he was hated? He said, look, they hated me. They rejected my message. They're going to hate you and some are going to reject your message. The the servant is not greater than the master. He was actually preparing them for this.
9: Uh, Yes. uh, He warned his disciples uh, about these things. And uh, he intended for them to be ready. And uh, as I said, the, this is why it's so heavy on my heart. I feel like we're not ready. We're not really talking about it very much. And, and it's going to shock many people and surprise them when pressure comes. And if they're not ready, then there are really uh, important risks. So I think you're right. The first step we take to prepare is that we need to, the most basic thing, we need to talk about it. And especially pastors and leaders, influencers, parents, uh, as you said, Jesus said that uh, it will come. Uh, the world hated him, and it will hate his followers because uh, the way I see it is we carry his scent. Mm-hmm. We we uh, remind people of Jesus, and and many react to him.
1: Let, let me ask you this, Andrew Brunson. Um, all right, in these steps of preparation, one is to know what the Word of God says. We've got to be in the Word of God, and I believe that that is one of the probably the things lacking most in the christian community today is a biblical illiteracy uh we, we know the word we can we can read it we can read it but we don't understand it because we're not in it we've got to be in it daily it's daily bread we, we we wouldn't eat just one day a week so we shouldn't just study god's word one day a week we should be in it constantly but from your perspective from your experience being in prison and, and you've been very honest about this how it, it broke you What are three practical steps that you see that believers in America need to engage in to be prepared for what we believe is coming?
9: Okay, So uh, the first one you mentioned, let's talk about it. Be aware of it. Be aware that people uh, have suffered persecution in many countries and places. We have been spared it because of generations that were faithful to God. In spite of the sins of our country, many were faithful. And that has now changed. So talk about it, be aware of it, and begin to prepare for it by preparing your children, preparing people in your church. The number one thing, uh, I think, to to persevere in difficulties is to cultivate love for God, and this is something that we have to grow. We don't naturally grow in love for God. We have to we have to pursue it, and so uh, this is the number one thing I believe uh, is what fueled my perseverance. Uh, in 2007, I began to pray, Father God, draw me so close to your heart that you'll be able to trust me with the authority to start waves. I call this the wave starter prayer. It's the name of, of the ministry we just started. And this began a pursuit of God's heart, of intimacy. We ran after his heart. And this is what prepared me for the difficult assignments that I had. And I believe prison, God didn't put me in prison, but he certainly used it. And, uh, he, uh, he gave me an assignment to be in prison. And what best prepared me, God knew that I was going to break. He knew that I would go right up to the point of failure. But because I had spent years running after his heart and drawn close to him, he also knew that in, even in my most difficult time, that I would turn to him and not turn away from him. So it's, it's this intimacy that fuels perseverance. A third thing that I think is very important is to cultivate right perspective, fear of God. Uh, Jesus said very clearly, he said, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. So, uh, he, this wasn't empty rhetoric. He was saying this to his disciples and most of them were killed eventually because they remained faithful to Jesus. So, uh, he was setting it up very clearly. We have a choice. We have to have the right perspective and, and determine that we are willing to pay a price because there may well be a price. And we have to make those decisions ahead of time. If we make the decisions now, then we're more likely to have a an anchor to hold on to when, when the winds come, when the storm comes. Whereas if we don't make those decisions now, then when we are under pressure, we may not have the strength to make them. So you have to decide ahead of time, I am willing to pay a price and begin to cultivate what I call the heavenly perspective, that we have to be faithful, that what most matters, you know, I've said before, uh, are we going to fear the Twitter mob or are we going to fear standing before God? Are we going to fear the consequences of obeying God, the consequences of obeying God or persecution? Or are we going to fear more the consequences of not obeying God, which is standing before him someday? So those three things, uh, talk about it, prepare, uh, cultivate love for God. Get the right perspective and determine you're willing to pay a price. I, I would also say cultivate perseverance. Determine that you will not compromise, but that you will remain faithful. And the fifth thing, Tony, is what you started out with, which is we need to stand on the word. We need to protect the word in our, in our churches. And we need to make a decision. We will not compromise the word of God, even if it costs us.
1: Amen. Dr. Andrew Brunson, thanks so much for joining us today, and thank you for, uh, for this message. It's one that uh, the church in America needs to hear. Thanks so much.
9: Thank you, Tony. Blessings to you.
1: And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.